Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This week, we're going to dive even deeper into all the announcements and what's come after Earth as different developers play with the betas in iOS, iPadOS 16, macOS Ventura, all the new features that weren't talked about in the keynote. It's going to be a great show. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Incogni, the backbone iPhone game controller, New Relic, and Collide. You'll hear about our sponsors in a moment. And joining me this week, who's running the beta on everything, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. I'm sad William isn't here this week just because uh, they did it, Stephen. They revealed the Apple car. <laughs> it was silhouetted in darkness, but you could definitely see uh, all the panels. We're going to talk about CarPlay. Thanks to our five-star reviews this week, Mike from Holly Springs, Georgia, home of Alma Coffee. That sounds fun. Great King Rat from Sweden. All right, that's the name. And Gabriel from Canada. Thank you for those five-star reviews. So it's WWDC week, Wes. I know you've been you've been jamming on a bunch of articles and testing. I've got the beta on an iPad. I've not been so daring as to put it on like my main iPhone and such. But is there any device of yours that is not on a beta? That's what I want to know. Um, nothing I use. Uh, there's a Mac Mini that I keep cloistered in the living room corner that I just never touch. That's my backup machine in case everything catches on fire. But otherwise, no. Uh, Apple TV, iPad, all of it. If HomePod had a developer beta that wasn't an Apple Seeds program, I would have that too. Ooh. And as we saw today, the AirPods now have a beta program. So after this, I will probably install the beta on my AirPods. So That's right. So you are running it on your main daily driver iphone is that correct yeah i don't have uh special extra iphones and stuff laying around so. <laughs> bespoke beta iphones yeah that that's the one device I, i'll do ipads sometimes i'll do a mac like a secondary mac but i, I don't do the developer betas on my iphone because it's my only one but yeah it's it's one of those things where like it's sure to burn me eventually. I yes, just, I've yes. always been super lucky running betas. I'm also always having the newest iPhone with the, you know, best processor performance or whatever, yeah. the highest battery. What, you know, I mean, it, there are problems. There's bugs. Uh, the battery is eaten in an hour, even on the iPhone 13 Pro Max, it just disappears. You know, so it's not without issues, but I've just never had any critical data loss. And sure. uh, it would be very difficult for me to have any critical data loss because most of my data is synced over iCloud. So even if my iPhone exploded, um, my photo library and my file system is in the cloud and on three other machines simultaneously. So a lot would have to go wrong for me to really have a critical failure. That's not to say to go out here and just install betas willy-nilly. Right. Um, I just trust the system. I feel like we're good. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, installing the developer beta might have been catastrophic, but there was a lot more to lose and a lot more local systems that could be damaged by a beta. Yeah, whenever there's big iCloud updates to the operating systems, then I get really leery of running the betas on my devices. You know, when there was the whole transition from mobile me to iCloud. I know there were issues then. And then also when notes finally went to iCloud, there was a long time where notes was syncing using some like weird IMAP protocol. And then eventually Apple actually brought notes into the iCloud sync. And when that happened, you know, I'd heard horror stories of people losing notes and all that. So I'm always leery about iCloud specific features. This year, we have iCloud Shared Photo Library, where you can actually share an entire library with other people in your iCloud family. And that's one of those features I'm like, I'm not going to mess with that just now because I do not want to mess with my personal photo library. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, a shared library, it's a separate thing, but still. That's not in the beta yet. That's something Apple's going to have to activate on okay. their back end for us to even access. So I don't even know how it's going to appear in photos. Apple kind of showed us a little bit and you can see it on their website, but there's really not much there to speak of as far as what it actually looks like as an interface. Um, it appears like it'll be 
integrated. So uh, kind of like how shared with you with photos works. I don't know if you have this enabled on your phone, yep. but yep. you can see images from your messages show up in your photo library. Yes. I believe the family shared photos will also show up in your photo library with a little family icon in the corner. Right. And there's going to be a separate album or library that you can go to to see them individually. So that looks like what it's going to be so far. Okay. Before we jump into some of these specific features, I want to talk about WWDC at like a higher level. Didn't do this in the recap. If you really want just kind of a play-by-play of the things that were announced during the keynote, there was the recap episode that aired Monday right after the keynote. And I kind of, in 20 minutes, cover everything Apple did in their almost two-hour event. But the actual event was interesting because there was in-person attendees, both developers and media was invited to watch the keynote State of the Union and be physically at Apple Park, visit the Developer Center. So saw people on Twitter, have heard other podcasts that it was actually a really good and fun experience being there in person at Apple Campus. The keynote was shown outside, so they did not watch it in the Steve Jobs Theater or indoors. The keynote was watched on this massive LED wall screen right outside the ring. The media and developers weren't sure if they would be relegated to the Developer Center or Steve Jobs Center, or if they would actually get to be at the ring, the actual Apple Park building. And it turns out they got to go to the ring. They even ate in the Cafe Mac and got to spend time there. So it sounds like it was a really cool in-person experience. I think next time I will try to put my hat in the ring for the developer lottery to see if maybe I can actually uh, attend in person. Uh, You know, you just need a developer account. It's not like you even need to have some popular app to be a part of that lottery or in the choosing. But looked really cool. It looked like a lot of fun. And they said, you know, everything was high production value, the sound and the video, those who watch there. And they got some hands-on with the new M2 MacBook Airs. So like MKBHD has a video specifically with the midnight version of the MacBook Air. We could talk about that in a minute. So overall, it looked like fun to actually be there physically. And as Marco Armand said on the uh, ATP podcast, he really thinks this feels like the future of WWDC. As far as he doesn't think that the big conference center, thousands and thousands of people attending from around the world is going to be much of a thing anymore. I mean, it makes sense. I feel like Apple would want people to physically come to their building, Apple Park, that they spent billions of dollars on that they can actually show off. And now they've made it clear that they're comfortable showing off to regular people, developers and press and all that. And so it feels like maybe this will be the future of their events and conferences that through a lottery or some small group gets invited physically. And then all the actual keynotes and announcements are virtual. What do you think about that, Wes? Do you think that's the future of their WWDC? Yeah, I think uh, there's diminishing returns after a certain uh, level of people at a conference. You know, you fill up a a convention hall with 5,500 people and they all want to go play with the new MacBook Air. That's your entire day versus maybe a thousand people packed into uh, outdoors. Um, I, I saw some people commenting like, yeah, they could probably fit more people into this in the future when there's less concern about COVID, but they can't see it getting too much bigger than it was. And uh, I think that makes the most sense. We don't necessarily need tens of thousands of people at a conference. So like Apple was never going to go much bigger back when they could have gone bigger. They didn't. They limited it to 5,500. And uh, now I could see them saying, okay, Apple Park only. And then you have this really specific um, experience built out at Apple Park that they can control, uh, including what looks like some very delicious food. I'm very jealous yeah. <laughs> of uh, the, some of those breakfast items looked really good. 
Yeah, they they did. And so just go on Twitter, you know, follow some developers and some Apple employees. You can actually follow them on Twitter. There's a number of them. And look, it just looked like a really fun event. And you know, that is now a goal. Hopefully I get to go to Apple Park one day and experience that. This is definitely the future. Um, and that developer center looks cool. Kind of was laughing because people were so excited about this developer center. It's like it's an office building, um, I think. Uh, I remember back when they bought this area that it, it used to be some sort of like a apartment units and they had to fight to get this 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 region of uh around apple park purchased and i guess this is where the developer center might be i might be wrong uh-huh. but uh it's just you look inside and it's it's just hallways with those like punch out ceilings um very basically you know conference rooms with wooden tables and a tv on the wall i don't know what i was expecting i was just laughing at how how normal it looked <laughs> and it's just like yeah that's cool so it's, it's a place i guess where you can go sit around an office uh thing and craig federighi might walk in and give a presentation i don't know what they're gonna do with it but uh and apple really didn't go into too much detail either but i guess it's just gonna be a place where if you got a really cool app or if apple needs to uh, yell at somebody over some like Fortnite nonsense uh they'll have a place to take them and and corner them in a room so yeah and i think if there's developers you know i think of the team that does halide the camera app if they have a big update to their app they're they're trying out a new api that they can actually go in person and meet with some of the engineers directly from Apple to get guidance on best use cases or best practices and all that kind of stuff. And if I lived in Cupertino, could I just like go hang out at the developer center where they like tackle me? I don't know. I just, that's a good question. I'm not sure, but we'll see. We'll we'll see the future of that uh, developer center. It's now open. You know, this was kind of the big debut. Every room is named after a Mac OS release, which I don't think either of us nailed the guess. You know, I thought it might be macOS El Dorado. I had a bunch of people on Twitter with guesses. I don't know if anyone guessed this, but it's macOS Ventura. Ventura is the name. Would not have thought. Right. And uh, they pronounced it very Californian um, without too much emphasis on the T. Right. Uh, whereas anyone who's uh, watched movies immediately went to Ace Ventura, which <laughs> has a very hard R. Yeah, I, I just thought it was... Uh, it's funny that they went that direction and breezed over it very quickly. They didn't do the usual big uh, like photo thing. There's not even like pictures of Ventura. I don't even know what that would look like, like a desert, I guess. Yeah. Um, like in the Mac OS in- interface, it's just a big like what looks like a flower opening, that yeah. orange petaled thing. It's a big flower. Yeah. So it's- I don't know. I think that's just uh, good. Let's get this name out of the way because it doesn't matter <laughs> anyway and uh, move on. All right. Well, let's, let's jump into iOS 16. One of the biggest pieces of news in the announcement was a customizable lock screen Looks great. I know you've actually been playing with it hands-on, so I'd love to know your impressions of it. We talk about some of the home widgets for home status that you can do. We talk about HomeKit Insider, all the home app stuff. Listen to that episode that airs Monday if you're curious about that. But with the lock screen, I was excited to try it, but I've only installed the beta on my iPad. So I go to my lock screen and no dice. The customizable lock screen, despite such a large canvas on my 12.9-inch iPad lock screen, There is no customizations available for that. So you can't put widgets or change the fonts or any of that on iPad. This is iPhone only. So that's unfortunate. But I will say some other lock screen info found out that Face ID is actually going to work in landscape now with iOS 16. So those who install the iOS 16 beta on their iPhone and they have a modern iPhone, especially the 13 and 13 Pro, if that phone is sideways, even if you're like laying in bed, you know, on your side, Face ID actually works in landscape or sideways, much like the iPad Pro. You know, the iPad Pro Face ID has worked in landscape and portrait, so that's really nice. A lot of this lock screen improvements and widgets 
really seems like it's pointing toward that always-on display that we've been hearing rumored more and more recently that's coming to the iPhone 14. There was even some code found in iOS 16 that mentioned things about backlight management on the lock screen, which, again, is not like any kind of confirmation, but it definitely lends itself to an always-on lock screen. And final thought before I throw to Wes and hear about his experience with the customizable lock screen, underscore David Smith, who developed the incredible WatchSmith app and WidgetSmith apps, He's been testing kind of current apps and widgets on the new lock screen. And he says many things were able to be ported over easily. So developers who have already developed widgets for home screens, there's apparently a pretty streamlined process to get those widgets onto the lock screen and pull certain data. A lot of his WatchSmith fonts and customizations seemingly just carried over to the lock screen widget. So that's pretty cool. But you actually have the beta on your iPhone. What's been your experience with the customizable lock screen? Well, it's really interesting. I found some limitations. Again, this is beta one, so uh, things could change very quickly. The iPad thing isn't clear. Apple hasn't officially confirmed anything, uh, by the way. Mm. Uh, this could just be, um, you know, beta two, beta four, who knows, or may not come this year at all. It just seems like an odd limitation for iPad not to have it. They, it has the new for the uh, clock face, but you can't change the font um, like you can on iPhone. So it just seems like it's like a like a half step like if it was still the original lock screen on iPad and from iPad OS 15 I would say okay it's coming next year but the the fact that it's a half step forward and it has the new clock font and stuff like that tells me maybe some of the codes there and they're just not done yet or there there's still more implementation to go this could even be a point one update it just seems like an odd limitation because um we did find out that uh, widgets are working off of the same code it's basically identical to the complications on apple watch so that's why uh, david smith that you know probably clicked two buttons and he was able to put it on the lock screen i think that also might be weird because the ipad doesn't run anything from watch os so uh versus uh, iOS having a bit more of a connection to it. So maybe there's some weird things going on there, but maybe we'll see uh, Apple add some changes. I think, like you said, there's plenty of space, but even if they just said the same five widget limitation with one widget above the clock, that's fine. Like, just give me that and I'll, I'll be happy. But uh, as far as customizing lock screen it's it's pretty amazing i like how they've got it all set up there's a apple needs to do this with the home screen uh, there's basically a genie tool that shows up when you try to create a new lock screen and it's select your wallpaper now select your widget select your font for your clock and it basically shows you everything you can do kind of like setting up a watch face on the apple watch so mm. all very streamlined mm. uh, a couple of little nitpicks um you don't know if a photo is going to have a 3D effect or not. It's not based on portrait mode or anything. Huh. It's based on the new subject detection API that they've developed with machine learning where uh, across the operating system and iOS um, photos uh, shown anywhere, the, the system just knows what's the foreground and what's the background. If it's able to see that the foreground will overlap some of the clock, it'll let it do that on the lock screen. And that's really cool. But you have no idea if it's going to allow that or not. <laughs> and then as soon as you add a single widget that it, it cuts back and says, nope, no more overlapping. So you can't overlap the clock face and have a widget on the screen at the same time, which is weird. You can do a widget above the clock though, right? And it's still overlap. Yeah. Right. Uh, you actually cannot choose. You you cannot not have a widget above the clock. I don't think there's an off option up there. You, oh. you have to have either the date, the weather, something up there, which someone was complaining about on Twitter. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I've seen a couple lock screens on Twitter, and people were like, "This overlap is amazing," but I didn't realize it was just totally random. I imagine it shows you a preview before you set it. Right. Like it's not like you have to set it to know whether it overlaps. There's some kind of preview there. 
Right. So the editor itself is the live view of the lock screen. And then when you hit done, it just becomes the lock screen. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, I mean, I'm excited to try it, especially with focus modes. And that was, again, one of the big announcements is that focus modes can affect so much more than just who can contact you and what notifications come through. Focus modes can actually choose a new lock screen or you can set a specific lock screen with widgets to a focus mode and even what mail accounts are active in different focus modes. Have you played around with that at all? How focus modes affects like mail accounts and other like background app stuff? No, the, I could do an entire show and write 7,000 words on this. Uh, this the, this is going to change iOS in a big way. I'm, I'm just very surprised at how far this can go because now nitpicky details, um, when you set up the lock screen, you can click an icon at the bottom to choose your focus for it. Now you can just by default say no focus and it's just a lock screen you can swipe to and select. But if you want it to automatically become your lock screen based on a focus, choose it from that menu or there's a menu in settings to choose it. And uh, when you switch to that focus, that becomes your lock screen. Or this is a little weird. If you select the lock screen, you switch to that focus. So it is a hard stop. You can, if you say mm. this lock screen is for this focus, it is that focus. So I go to that lock screen. I say, I like this image. I like this layout. You click it. Suddenly you're in the sleep focus. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's uh, another little nitpicky detail. So if you want to have the same lock screen for multiple focuses, you have to build multiple lock screens, even if they're identical. That's interesting because so it's called focus filters is the other feature. And here from Apple's website, it says you can set boundaries within Apple apps like calendar, right. mail, messages, and Safari. For example, choose a set of tab groups to show up in Safari while in work focus and hide your work calendar when you're in personal focus. Right. I'm getting that. I'm just long winded. No, no, no. Uh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> now, Pass the lock screen stuff. Yes. So this is this is really cool. And third-party apps can take advantage of this with an API. So this can happen across any app. But right now, it's only Apple apps because it's a beta. And I've done this. Uh, it's really interesting. So you can set a focus filter uh, so that when you are in, say, a work focus and you open Safari, it will take you to a tab group that you've pre-selected. So for Apple Insider, if I'm at, you know, 7 a.m. it goes to Apple Insider's work focus. And if I open Safari at that point, it'll open up the tab group I have labeled as my work tab group, <laughs> showing our publisher and our website and whatever tools I'm using at that time. You can still, and this is at least good, you can still switch between tab groups. It just defaults to that one as the first one you open. And then if I just switch my work focus to my personal one, uh, it doesn't do it automatically. A pop-up on Safari will say, you've just switched your focus. Would you like to open your personal tab group? And you say yes or no. Hmm. That's a little bit, uh, I don't like that. I don't like that you have to confirm it. I would rather just do it automatically. I don't know if that'll be a setting later, but right now you do have to confirm if you're going to switch your tab groups because of a focus change. But uh, I do like that that happens. Other ones are more automatic, like mail. Uh, right now I've set it up so when I'm in my personal or any other focus, I only see my personal email address and then only in my work focus do I see all my email. Right. Stuff like this is really cool to me, I think. I love this and... <laughs> It's weird because I was just recently retesting Spark as an email application. I tested it before and with many email accounts, it seemed to struggle with that. But I will say now I was using Spark for the last week or so. I put 
I had like six or seven email accounts I put in there. It was working great. But then when Apple announced this during the WWDC keynote, being able to disable certain email accounts based on focus mode, that is a huge deal for me. You know, I in the past have tried different methods and strategies for separating personal and work stuff. I even went so far, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with this, but there's something called the Light Phone, L-I-G-H-T. And it is basically a bespoke very tiny credit card size phone that only allows you to make calls. Then they had a second version that lets you text. But I had the one that just allowed you to make calls. You can sync it with your regular phone number. And so calls would be forwarded. But it was like the phone to use on the weekends. So you're not tied to your iPhone all the time. And so I actually did that for a while and tried it. But you're basically just inconveniencing yourself because if you need to like hail an Uber, if you want to order some food from Chipotle, it was like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> like those are things I want to do even when I'm not working. You can't detach completely from your personal phone. Yeah, and it's just, it's just an inconvenience to you if I wanted to just get directions somewhere and I didn't have like a smartphone. And then, you know, some people have gone so far as to like have two smartphones. Maybe it's two iPhones or one Android and one iPhone. It's like, this is my work phone. This is my, you know, weekend phone. And now like this ability to with your single iPhone device, basically completely change what you have access to. I don't know, you could talk about like self-discipline and just don't check your email or whatever, but I know for me, like I just have so much like muscle memory where I know it's probably not great, but like I just check my email routinely or like open Slack. And to be able to say when it hits Saturday morning, I want you to turn off these email accounts, turn off these calendars so I don't get invites when I'm trying to have a day off and just have the phone, have my iPhone do that all automatically and and help me basically to limit my work mind. I, I mean, I'm extremely excited for this. It's, it's tempted me to put the beta on my iPhone, but n- I haven't done it yet. What's, what's interesting is the, oh, these aren't hard cuts. So when you do have a focus filter, say for mail, um, you open the mail app and, it'll, and your all mail e- inbox will only be whatever account you have selected right. for, the, for the focus filter. But if you go to your uh, sidebar, you'll still see like your work Gmail there. There'll just be a moon next to it saying filter or whatever is on. And you can click on the inbox and interact with it. It's still there, but your all inboxes and your incoming messages and all of that okay. will only reflect what you filtered. So it doesn't hard cut. Like you're not going to not see Gmail right. in your uh, email app. It'll be there, but Apple's got a, a, a couple of icons saying, no, 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 this is your work thing. And you're saying you don't want to see this. So this yeah. isn't being included in your in your all inbox and frankly like that's enough like for my use case because i don't i think i would prefer it that way yeah I, I think that's good you know if you have to check something that's mission critical someone sends you a text depending on your work but no i, I think that's great very excited for focus filters it's different per app because again we only have apple's apps but even apple's apps are very specific in how they handle this you can do a focus filter on messages and say only the people that i've allowed notifications for in this focus should show up in messages and that is a hard filter but <laughs> you can swipe all the way out into the menu and select like a, a different view um so it's again mm, okay. it's it's just you have to look for it I guess the good thing is is you don't have to completely turn off focus or switch a focus mode to get to the information you're hiding so it's just interesting to me and this is why i'm so big on this is it's like you said it's like having two phones or three phones or you know five and one uh because with focus you turn on a focus you can choose to change your lock screen, your home screen. Every app that supports focus filters will change based on the focus, change who can get a hold of you, what apps have notifications, trigger automations that change your home, that that can play music and connect to certain accessories. Like it's just mind boggling how far you can customize 
every interaction with your phone now just using focus. It's it's awesome. So I'm I'm very excited. I'm I'm getting more and more tempted to put the beta on my phone. I don't know. Maybe I'll wait for the public beta. I might convince you by the end of this uh, podcast. This episode is brought to you by Backbone, an incredible game controller that just attaches and cradles your iPhone. What's holding you back from a good gaming experience? Is it hundreds of dollars of cost for your setup? Or maybe you're just a busy on the go and you only have minutes to spare. Well, you can level up your game with Backbone, the universal gaming essential that lets you instantly play hundreds of console games on your iPhone, no console required. And here's the thing, I was not familiar, or at least I did not have experience with game streaming to an iPhone. But I got with my teenage son, I gave him the backbone to try, and we figured out how to stream Fortnite from Xbox for free to his iPhone. And he's been playing Fortnite using the backbone controller on his iPhone streaming. Because remember, Fortnite's not in the App Store anymore. And man, the backbone controller with Fortnite, he loves it. He loves being able to play those games. And you can stream tons of other games directly to your iPhone. You just plug in your iPhone, you get console quality controls with responsive buttons, triggers, and clickable analog sticks, and more as you play Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and App Store games. If you don't own a console, no problem. You stream all those games like FIFA, Halo, Minecraft, and more with those cloud gaming services like Xbox Game Pass, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Google Stadia. And experience for yourself what TechCrunch calls the closest we've ever seen to a portable Xbox. That's pretty cool. So go to playbackbone.com slash Apple Insider now to order your backbone until June 30th and get free access to over 350 console games and perks, including one month free of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, one month free of Apple Arcade, two months free of Google Stadia Pro, and three months free of Discord Nitro. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash Apple Insider. That link is also in the show notes. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Backbone for sponsoring this episode and our friends at New Relic. If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. Your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken. Your mind's already racing. Is it the back end? Is it the front end? Is it the network? Maybe a cloud provider. Did I introduce a bug in the last thing I did to deploy? Well, now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging people trying to find and fix the issue. Well, that won't happen when you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so engineering teams can see access across the entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened. That's why dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. The next 9 p.m. call is waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. You can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data for free forever, no credit card required, when you sign up at newrelic.com slash Apple Insider. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash Apple Insider. The link is in the show notes. You can just click it there, newrelic.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode. We have so much more to get to. I got to jam through it. So iMessage, obviously we talked about you can undo, send a message, you can edit a message, and you can mark threads as unread. A couple more details about that. Editing and undo send for iMessage does have a 15-minute limit. After you've sent a message, once 15 minutes have passed, then you can no longer edit it. So it is not like an unlimited edit time. And if you accidentally delete a conversation in iMessage, I know I've done this in the past and it's like it lost my whole history because with iCloud message syncing, it'll remove that conversation from all your devices. Well, now there's actually a recently deleted iMessage conversation section 
in the messages app. So if you accidentally delete a conversation, you can recover it for the next 30 days. My question for you, Wes, with this 15 minute limit for editing and undo send, if a message gets marked red because the other person actually saw it, can you still edit it within those 15 minutes or does that edit uh, ability get lost once someone actually sees it? You can edit it. It just gets marked as edited. Right. Think of it like Reddit or something. Um, just because someone sees a message you've sent doesn't mean you can't edit it anymore. It's a tool meant to help you fix typos and stuff, not change like uh, the entire context of a, of a thing, but I'm sure people will do that. Right. I have seen some people uh, become concerned uh, online. Uh, one one tweet I saw was, yeah, I think she was a lawyer saying that if you are in like a criminal defense case, like with a spouse, uh, turn off iMessage, you know, I guess thinking that this w- update was already out because they can send you abusive messages and then delete them and then the court won't have access to them anymore or something. And it's obviously there's going to be cases like this where people can abuse the feature. But I guess my advice to you guys is, is uh, if you're ever in a situation where you need the receipts, just use something else or screenshot very quickly. It's just one of those things. I think screenshotting is probably the answer. And I think that's still kind of a, a habit, especially if you're in a situation where you really need proof of things. A screenshot is probably your best way of retaining some of that information, like in the state of what you have seen. I mean, you could turn off iMessage, but I don't think that's the best answer. I think just take screenshots. Turning off iMessage is a terrible plan for any like safety purposes, because then you're relegating yourself to SMS, which can be intercepted or, you know, iMessage is the safe way to go because it's encrypted and whatnot. Like you want that. And so again, like if you're dealing with that kind of situation, maybe just don't communicate with them. I don't know. Like I'm not in that situation. I can't tell you what to do, but there's just, there's other ways don't don't turn off iMessage. And I looked in the settings just now to see, it doesn't appear like there's any um, controls for this feature. So like maybe it would be it would be interesting if Apple gave us a, uh, the ability to say for this conversation, don't allow edits or deletes or something like that. But I don't know that that would come. It doesn't look like yeah. it's, a, it's possible in this current beta anyway. Okay, so the weather app, I know the big news was that the weather app is now on iPad. I'm looking at it right now on my iPad Pro. Looks great, love the animations. One of the new details This is actually available on the iPhone and the iPad version, but there's actually more information, especially when you dive into a specific day in the weather app. It looks like they're pulling even more of that dark sky information. So if you tap a day, like I just tapped today here in the weather app on my iPad, you can actually see the curves throughout the day for like temperature, or you can even change that to UV index, wind, rainfall. And so you just get more information in the weather app, which is really nice. I love that it's on the iPad and you can just jump in there and kind of see everything. And now if you tap a widget, you don't get thrown to uh, the Weather Channel website or whatever it is in your region. But you have the standalone app. Really good. I've also heard from different developers that the API, this was something that Dark Sky provided, which was the Dark Sky API where app developers could plug into that API and pay for access to that data. And Apple is also has made that since Apple acquired Dark Sky, there is a Weather API that or weather kit, I believe that developers can still plug into. And apparently it's cheaper than what it was before when Dark Sky was managing that. So developers can still build great weather apps using the great information from Dark Sky, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and from and from what I've heard from uh, developers, it's pri- like you said, price a little cheaper, but the stuff you can do with it is pretty much the same. Like there hasn't really been any change with how the weather kit system works, and uh, that's good for developers. I'm excited to see Carrot Weather update for everything iOS 16. Yeah, they're always they're always using every feature possible. So yeah. 
The other cool feature that everyone seems to be showing off is the lift subject from image. I did a little video on Twitter about this, but it basically allows you to long press on a subject in a photo, whether that's a person or even an animal, sometimes just objects, and you can literally pull or drag that image to a note, to a pages document, to presumably something like Pixelmator, and you get a PNG file of that subject without the background and just pull it out. Seems to be working really well. I've tried it on a number of images. It's Sometimes it's a little buggy. Again, this is basically to one so no judgment there but it's an awesome feature it seems to really be uh popular among everyone who's running the beta what's been your experience with that uh it's interesting i wrote a whole hands-on for that so if you want to go to apple insider you'll you can see it's actually really cool uh sometimes it's better at detecting subjects than even like pixelmator if you've ever used pixelmator pro on the mac uh, there's just a button you can click that'll remove the background from an image and it's hit or miss like anything with machine learning but like sometimes i've noticed that like because i've been experimenting uh there's images that pixelmator will get wrong uh that the uh, clip subject from photo will get right which is really cool uh it just it's just another tool in the arsenal it's not something you want to use for uh, a lot of creative projects because sometimes the background might come with you you might come you might cut off a leg it's not perfect but it is just another option where oh this didn't work quite as well as i thought let's see what this uh, apple's function will do here yeah. and it's cool because it's on the mac it's on the ipad and it's on the iphone and the functionality is everywhere um you can be in safari you don't even have to save the photo just have the photo in a viewable state that where the website acknowledges it's a jpeg you know it can't be a link or whatever click and hold on it one of the options you know copy paste copy link or whatever the bottom option will be copy subject and it will just straight up rip the subject even if it's from a web page um which is really cool that's amazing and uh you can do this from quick view or quick look on on the mac you can do this uh, from like different apps on iphone um it's just really really fancy but one of the coolest implementations of this is in the photos app where on the iphone if you press a little bit because again there's no 3d press anymore but i guess you just press and hold for a second you'll feel some haptics where it's just like yeah. like a poke saying hey you've selected the subject you can let go and a line will trace the subject out showing you exactly what's about to be cut and then the share options appear which is really cool there's even when you long press on an image i'm looking right now on a website picture of a dog here and i long pressed on the image and it didn't do the little like highlight around the subject and allow me to drag it but there is a command in that contextual menu that pops up where you have share, add to photos, copy, and then copy subject is an individual command. And it worked. I tapped copy subject, went to an iMessage conversation and hit paste, and it pastes the subject. It's going to be great for YouTube thumbnails where people cut it, cut themselves out, <laughs> put themselves. That's amazing. Oh, I've I've just been sending pictures of my cat and dog to people just cut because <laughs> it, it it detects animals and people really well on their boundaries, even like fur and stuff. It, it gets uh, right. So that's amazing. It's really cool. Well, before we move on from iOS 16 and talk a little bit about CarPlay, the M2 and the iPad, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg had the report that Apple Pay Later, which was announced during the event, allows people to buy a product and do four equal payments rather than paying 100% upfront. Those four equal payments from Apple Pay Later is not handled by some external financial institution or Goldman Sachs who runs the Apple card. Apple themselves will be handling the pay later for installment payments of new products, which is, I think, one of the first times that Apple is being like a, a debt manager. You know, with the Apple card, it's totally Goldman Sachs. When you do the iPhone upgrade program, that loan is through Citizens One, at least here in the States. It's a third party a credit company that deals with that. But Apple Pay Later is going to be 
dealt with exclusively by Apple. They're going to do the credit checks. And presumably, if people don't pay in one of those four payments, Apple is going to be the one that, I guess, send collections after people. And so this is very interesting. Apple's really taking a further step into being a financial provider, you know, a financial services provider. This is another interesting thing where you have to be pay very close attention to the language. Apple says no interest. And that's great. Like, um, you don't want to, you know, buy a pair of shoes and and pay interest on them. That would be silly. But the key here is, is there will be late fees. Like Apple's not going to just let you take out a loan and then never pay them. So just like with Apple Card, which it's very clear when there's going to be interest charged. If you just miss a payment, you'll get a late fee. Like, uh, so it's just one of those things where you got to be careful here. Um, Affirm and other companies do this. Um, the four equal payments thing, I, I wonder if that's a hard like thing that's like, all right, no matter what you buy, this is this Apple Pay Later is a four payment system over six weeks, no matter what. Um, and that That's like an interesting uh, choice there. I, I can see people taking advantage of this. I like that Apple's using their own capital because again, like they just have money laying in the bank. Why not sure. lean it against it? I guess that, that goes into the question. Will they, will they run out of capital to borrow against? Uh, it's just <laughs> like if enough people use Apple pay later, will they have to pop up a message saying, sorry, we can't do that. I don't think that could happen. It would take a, like, I want to, I want someone to do the math. Like how much would people have to spend for Apple to run out of capital for this? But even then I think they can just borrow against it. So it's it's a it's a really interesting thing uh i wonder if goldman sachs is like sweating in the corner like oh no is apple about to jump ship and become a bank what do you think of bank of apple are you going to open a checking account with them i mean looking at some of the banking institutions here in the states maybe i would trust apple more with my money than them with all the breaches of data and fishy things that happen behind the scenes i don't know because Apple Card, again, is only available in the States, and we've been waiting for it to expand to things like Canada and the UK. I know William Gallagher is eagerly awaiting the ability to have an Apple Card. I wonder if they are delaying that to be the ones that back the card out there. I don't know. I mean, it would be a huge services play, a revenue play, but... It's a it's a big step from we're going to manage your loan to we're going to manage your credit card because they're very different institutional systems. Like I, th- I think the loan is just much less complex. Again, it's here's your money. We have it and you owe us back versus, uh, you know, credit checks and all this stuff. And if you look at the slide for Apple Pay later, it does say at the bottom, there's, there's a disclaimer on the screen that loans are subject to credit approval and stuff like that. So you right. have to, Apple's probably going to do a, like, uh, you, you're going to have to apply for Apple Pay later. And you're probably going to be given, like, you're not going to be told this, but, you know, in Apple system, you're going to get a pre-approved limit and uh, stuff like that based on your credit. So Apple can say yes or no whenever you try to do it. And if you try to do 15 of these things in a row, they're probably going to be like, no, nah, you, you, you know, you're probably destroying your credit doing that. Right. To be very clear here, this is a credit system. This isn't a, a toy to play with. Like, uh, like I might use it to buy like you know those adams shoes they're a hundred dollars they're nice four payments of twenty five dollars that's much easier to swallow than a hundred dollars sure like i can see using that every now and then just for like uh here's a quick purchase of something maybe not a macbook you know right <laughs> you know four payments of 250 dollars a little a little bit less uh, enjoyable it's just i think we're going to see more from apple in this area in the future for sure it's fascinating for sure. All right. Want to touch on CarPlay real quick. Apple showed it off in the keynote that their development CarPlay where it can take over the entire displays in cars. There's not been any announcements. We have to wait till 2023 for Apple to announce some of the partners that are going to be working with these kind of 
long and takeover displays. Apple even said like speedometer, tachometer, those things will be part of CarPlay. We had a splash screen with a bunch of logos on Correct. it. Uh, notably, BMW is missing. Um, but mm. if you remember, they charged money for CarPlay and stuff like that. Uh, I, right. I think Apple might have shot. Right. Like we got partners and stuff, but Apple said, yeah, this is like 18 months out. Right. I've heard Neelai Patel talk about this on Twitter and the ATP guys again, but having software and an OS running critical data in a car like fuel and speedometer. I mean, that stuff has to be rock solid. What if your speedometer like loops or like, like it gets caught in a <laughs> yeah. animation loop or like it, you, you have to reboot your speedometer while you're driving down the highway. I just, yeah. Someone on Twitter was saying like, what happens if the speedometer like freezes or whatever? And I joked, well, if you get pulled over by a police officer and they say, do you know how fast you were going? You could say, I really don't know because my speedometer froze. And so no idea officer. Have you ever been in a vehicle with a digital dash? They do exist. There are dashes right now. You can go get a car that is like it turns on with the car. There's no physical dial. Have you ever been in one? I think I think I have. I mean, I've never seen one freeze or anything, so maybe it's fine. I think it's a trick of the eye kind of kind of thing. Like uh, in the background, it's all mechanical pulleys and levers. It just feeds out to a uh, digital input. Like Apple's interface might be showing us the thing, right. but there's still like uh a computational layer behind it. So even if CarPlay crashes, I'm sure there's probably a safety system in place that if for any reason that this thing isn't getting constantly updated, like the system can see a freeze, right? Like computers can do that. Um, sure. And I would say very reliably, it might just switch back to the default uh, Android Auto with that. Oh God, let, fall back to Android Auto. But um, <laughs> fall back to the car's default speedometer. Right. Even though, yes, it's a digital system, it's still hooked up to a mechanical interlock. It's still hooked up to a mechanical system. It knows how fast you're going. That base system is probably so reliable and basic that even if Apple system fails on top of it, they can just switch back to that in the and you would never notice other than CarPlay disappearing. Right. Well, I don't think my 2011 Kia Soul will be getting a full CarPlay support anytime soon. So listeners, you're going to have to let us know. It's cool. Like, um, like, so that's, that's the question. Would you drive something like Apple's fancy theoretical one where it's the entire top of the dash plus a bonus screen? Would you drive something like that? Would you feel comfortable having that much in front of you? Because that's a lot of information. It's a lot of information. I would hope you could customize it and kind of limit maybe even things turn off while you're in motion, you know, which is something like even my Kia Soul won't allow me to pair a Bluetooth phone when I'm in motion, you know, I have to wait for the car to come to a complete stop. So I imagine there could be some customizations that way. I mean, it looks cool. I would drive it. Background information. I don't currently own a vehicle because I work from home and I don't need one and I have access to a car, you know, um, so I don't, I don't need my own personal vehicle. But before I got out of the military, I had a 2018 CRV with CarPlay and I had all the, the new fanciness uh, in it and a, and a, you know, light up dash and everything. So that kind of like driving at night with a lot of lights in your face kind of gets overwhelming. And I'm just imagining an LED bar in front of me while I'm driving down the highway. I'm sure the brightness would adjust and stuff. I'm just very curious about the experience of driving something like this or yeah. telling Siri to adjust my air conditioning and stuff. I, I, I find it very interesting. And uh, maybe I'll be in the market for a vehicle um, late <laughs> 2023. And uh, I, I will say just for William's sake that it does feel a little bit like Apple's pre-announcing the Apple car <laughs> or at the, at the very least they're um, doing the thing where you put out some information to see what public opinion is so they sure. can make decisions ahead of time yeah like uh could you imagine because again this this is this is getting closer to that window 
Ming-Chi Kuo says Apple's announcing a car between 2024 and 2028. You announce the 2024 car in 2023. That's how cars work. Uh, I hate that, but that's how they work. Like, I could totally see that. But then the other question arises, and I not to go too long on this topic, of is Apple even building a car? Like, is because th- this brings up both questions. Is this Apple's car or... If other manufacturers are implementing Apple's systems to this amount of effect and detail, is this it? Is this Apple's testing facility? Is this everything they've been doing just to work up to a full integrated dash and control system and they're not actually working on the full hardware piece? I mean, what do you think? I could definitely see Apple saying this car or maybe these three cars from these different manufacturers, you know, are like the Apple sanctioned vehicles the the lg ultra fine car (laughs) yeah because i honestly every time i think about apple getting into the car business so many questions about like dealerships and where would people test drive this car and i can't imagine you would go to an apple store in a mall to learn about the apple car i mean you could have it on display outside but they'll put the they'll put the apple car dealership next to the apple bank Yeah, maybe, maybe that. It's all made of marble, white marble. I I think this new CarPlay stuff, I think lends itself more to Apple being like, here are our close partners where the entire car experience is Apple, you know, and you get CarPlay, everything from the speedometer to your podcast app as you listen to it. Like it's all Apple, your navigation is maps. And I could see that kind of partnership. And yes, we know like Apple has been testing physical cars and doing that, but I don't know. I feel like this is a step more in the direction of Apple saying, we'll take all the digital stuff and someone else handle like the axles and wheels because we're not about to do that. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Incogni. There are thousands of data brokers aggregating your personal data. You know, your phone numbers, your IP address, your employment history, even your shopping habits and selling it to unknown businesses to use as they please. This is why you see all those weirdly accurate ads whenever you browse the internet. It can be scary, but the good news is that you have the right to request data brokers to delete that information that they have about you and protect your privacy. Unfortunately, if you want to do this yourself, it would take years to do it manually. That's where Incogni comes in. Incogni can do the messy work for you and it's fully automated. Incogni will help you protect your privacy and take your personal data off the market by reaching out to data brokers on your behalf requesting your personal data is removed and dealing with their objections. The first 100 people to use promo code Apple Insider or go to the link incogni.com slash Apple Insider will get 20% off Incogni. Look for the link in the podcast description and take back control of your personal data. That's incogni, I-N-C-O-G-N-I dot com slash Apple Insider for 20% off. Our thanks to Incogni for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Collide. Guys, I love Collide. Collide sends your employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside of Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to lock down their employees' devices using mobile device management platforms that can make it frustrating to use your devices. When your workforce doesn't have the full access to the devices they need to do their job, it can be frustrating. Well, Collide helps educate them about security and device management without locking down those devices. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after a free trial activation. Free trial, free gift bundle. It's a great deal. Collide knows your end users are the most significant untapped resource and they can help solve the most challenging security issues. So Collide will send them those messages right in Slack 
Maybe they've saved some plain two-factor backup codes right on their desktop. Well, Collide will message them saying, hey, don't store them there because that's not secure. And it can even convince employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. So try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash Apple Insider. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. The link is also in the podcast description. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. I just want to touch on M2 MacBook Air. MKBHD had a video on the midnight color and just talking about it. Looks like a great computer. You know, we'll have to wait till hands-ons and speed tests. What I really find interesting is that they put the M2 brand new chip also in the 13-inch MacBook Pro, unchanged body style, unchanged design. And I really feel like that computer doesn't have much of a purpose. You could talk about sustained performance because it has a fan, but I really don't think you're going to have a noticeable different performance. I think if anyone wants to get a Apple laptop sub $2,000, I think it's the M2 MacBook Air. I mean, that's the one you should go with. I really don't know why that exists, the 13-inch one. I have a conspiracy theory for you, Stephen. All right, so... Oh, I'd love to hear Okay, it, so yes, the uh, MacBook Pro 13-inch with M2 sounds insane, but here's my guess. The whole COVID situation with chip production and stuff probably... Apple shoving M1 in everything. They have a surplus of M1 chips going to every other product. And then they probably just have a bunch of 13 inch MacBook Pro shells laying around. And they're like, man, we got to get rid of these. Sure. And, but they don't want to keep producing M1 chips. So they want to cut the production of the M1 13 inch MacBook Pro entirely and move it to M2, but they want to increase the M2's chip production. So it's a win-win. Here's the new chip in this old machine and they get to <laughs> basically kill all production of the 13 inch MacBook Pro. Cause I mean, if they have any backstock inventory at all in the, in a, you know, tens of thousands, that's probably the lifetime of the product uh, that remains and just shove this new chip in there because that's going to be where all of their chip manufacturing is going forward yeah. and just empty out that inventory. And then maybe in a year, we'll just hear them say, and, and then that's gone. You know, I don't think this thing's going to stick around for another five years. No, I don't think so. I would just say listeners, those of you who are the tech people in your friends and family groups, steer people to the M2 MacBook Air, not the 13 inch pro. Yeah. Don't buy that. Like why? I, I just want to, I want to like hang out in an Apple store and just like wait for them to swipe their credit cards so I don't like turn them away from it and then just be like, why did you just buy that? Like what what is your <laughs> yeah. what is stop like, it. What is your what is your decision making here? You know? <laughs> yeah. I am very curious. I mean the, the new MacBook Air looks really good. It is very much a Mac 14 inch MacBook Pro, but scaled down with less features to hit that lower price point. I find it interesting that the M1 MacBook Air still sticking around to hit that nine ninety nine. I imagine a year from now that will go away. The M2 MacBook Air will take the nine ninety nine price point, but even so, glad it exists. Well, that M1 is so good. This is only is like good. an eight. I mean, like 18% is nothing to sneeze at. That's a great performance jump. But like sure. that M1 is still really good. Like it is. I don't Absolutely. like it could stick around for years. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you these MacBook Airs. Yes. They they don't look like the uh, rendered rumored images, the, all the leaks, do they, Stephen? <laughs> they do not match the colors for sure. You know, we did not get all those colorful MacBook Airs. We didn't get the white bezel display the white keyboard um right it they did call magsafe and they did get the ports right i'll give them that yeah which again if all you have is a cad file then you might not get colors then you might just have to go off what you know tips you hear right you wouldn't know white bezel or black bezel because cad files not going to have that it was a guess based on the 24 inch imac i'll give them that that's yeah anyway you know it's fine i do wish 
the colors, there's been some videos and photos of like the midnight color and how that midnight gets a little chipped, like around the ports especially, like you start seeing the little blue specks come off. So curious, the, the durability and also the fingerprint of that midnight color, MKBHD in his video was showing a bunch of fingerprints on that blue one, and they're even hard to get off, like even if you wipe it pretty uh, vigorously. So Right. If I know. could have a midnight 14-inch MacBook Pro, I'm telling you, I would have one right now. <laughs> like that is <laughs> It a, looks good. It it's looks a really good-looking good MacBook. So Yeah. No, it is for sure. I'm I'm definitely jealous. It's uh, eyeballing it. It's like, could I could I work from a MacBook? No, I don't want that. Well, and I, I was thinking about it because you know I got my Mac Studio, which I love. That's my workhorse, and I have my 14 inch MacBook Pro, which I also love. I do love the ProMotion display, and I do love the SD card, which the two big things that I would be giving up if I went from the 14 inch MacBook Pro to the MacBook Air M2, and. I don't know if I want to give those. And up. you have three iPads, two iPhones, and an iPod. Steven, I don't think you need another no, Mac. No, don't, no, I'm, I was talking about trading it in. Do I want to oh, trade okay. in <laughs> my MacBook Pro? No, I would not keep both. But I do want that SD card flexibility right. in my laptop for when I travel. And so, not not for me. You know what? I use that SD card reader all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, it's it's so convenient. I just but yeah, audio and video for sure. Okay, one real quick, last two things. I'll talk about macOS real quick and then spend a few minutes on iPad because I'm playing around with the stage manager feature. For macOS, a couple things that they did not mention in the keynote but been watching some videos on it. There is actually a weather app now for the Mac. And this was something where you could do the widget, but if you click the widget, it would just load a website like on the iPad. But now that weather app is also on the Mac, which is very cool. A new feature that was discovered also is that you'll be able to use the same keyboard and mouse with multiple Macs. And so I think this was Zolotech on YouTube. He noticed that he was able to connect to another one of his Macs signed in with his iCloud account and switch which computer the keyboard and mouse was controlling. This would be really nice if you have like a work machine and a personal machine. I'm not sure if you have to be in the same iCloud account or if it just needs to be in the same vicinity with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and such. But that seems like a really cool feature to add. Is this not universal control like what is he talking about is there a toggle i have no idea what you actually there was a new a symbol in the menu bar that appeared and when he clicked it it said move mouse and keyboard to interesting this and it had his mac studio listed he was on his macbook pro and he saw his mac studio listed as you can move your keyboard and mouse to that he said it kind of like disappeared and reappeared a couple times and i don't know if this is like an official feature that apple had on their website but it seemed like he was able to do it once and then it was kind of been buggy since. So I'm curious if anyone running the beta has has seen that. Yeah, no need for a KVM switch. I like that. Exactly, exactly. Continuity camera covered in the recap episode. But again, uh, Zolotech, and I've seen other people using the continuity camera. The desk view just is incredible using the ultra wide camera on the iPhone, getting that top down shot. I'm curious to see what the limitations are, like how close the phone has to be and at what angle. Steven, uh, did you read? Did you read my hands on for this? Oh, I've, been, I've been watching so many things I missed it. What was the hands-on? It's, it's okay. What'd so I have, I, so we can put it in the show notes, but I have a hands-on with the continuity camera compared to the studio display and the MacBook Pro um, webcam. And uh, it is obviously the best thing, you, you, you know, it's the best one. Uh, the iPhone web uh, uses a webcam. You're going to get your best quality. Uh, the portrait lighting is awesome. The uh, portrait effect is awesome. Like it's all just really well done. You come through so crisp, um, even in a poorly lit, environments like my office and um then you look at it next to the studio display and you're like man what happened with this thing <laughs> right um and i tried 
desk mode. And I think you have to be in a really specific environment. That demo Apple Play during the keynote, mm. that's the environment you have to be in. Like a lunchroom sized, like picnic sized table that's just really wide with the Mac all the way across the table and you like playing cards in front of it. Cause like, uh, mm. I think it's like a 30 degree. I don't, I don't, I didn't pull out a protractor, but I think you're, you got like a 30 degree drop from the camera to the desktop. And from where I was testing it on my desk, you can see in the, the top photo of the article, how I had it set up. I didn't move it at all during my uh, photo sessions. You can see that, that, that that's the angle. And uh, I got, I just saw your shirt. Yes. <laughs> your shirt so mode. I, I, I put a picture of what I saw when I turned on desk mode and I quipped that it looks like shirt mode because it is just a picture <laughs> of my chest. So yes. yeah, very not useful at all in that respect. I wonder if it's a beta thing, if maybe they're going to tweak how it works. I don't, I don't know. It's just a very awkward position for that camera to be in yeah. currently from my desk. I maybe it, you're going to have to just, again, be in a very specific environment for that to work. It's cool, just not as magical as Apple made it seem anyway. Yeah, I see you wearing a basic Apple guy's commander shirt as well. It's very nice. Oh, yeah. Great, great shirt. The Your triple comparison where you have the 14-inch MacBook Pro FaceTime camera, the iPhone 13 Pro Max in the continuity setup, and then the studio display camera, it is such a stark difference. The quality using the iPhone 13 Pro as your webcam as opposed to the other two, it's it's pretty wild. That will be the chapter art for this <laughs> for this section because that's that's pretty incredible. Um, also, system preferences is getting changed to system settings in macOS Ventura, and this seems like a maybe this will change a lot over the summer during the different betas. But they've changed a lot of the things here. One of the most notable omissions, I think, is when you go to like trackpad and mouse settings. If you recall from older versions of system preferences, they would have these like little video clips of what the gesture would look like, whether it was a three or four finger trackpad gesture going back and forward. And I, I always thought those videos were very helpful, especially for people new to the Mac. And now it seems like the system settings in Mac OS Ventura, they don't have those videos for the mouse and trackpad segment, but also just the layout and all the different toggles. Not sure if it's easier to change settings on your Mac or if it's going to be a little confusing trying to find stuff. How's been your experience with that on your Mac? It is a confusing pile of words, uh, just like right. the iPhone and iPad system settings, um, yes. preferences settings app. It's weird. Uh, I don't know why Apple went with that. Like, why not re like take the chance to reinvent the uh, wheel here a little bit and give us a maybe a combination of icons and menus rather than just a static pile of words that you have to scroll through infinitely um, that just gets longer and longer depending on how many apps you have it's just very not mac os and um i hope they improve on it again this this might be the safari tab view thing that we had from last year where everyone's just going to yell at them until they fix it uh but I doubt they will. It looks like they put in a lot of time and effort to translate this to Mac OS. Um, maybe some fixes here and there. Yeah. Just make search better. Like right now, the only like search is so dumb on uh, settings and system settings because you have to be exact. You have to know what Apple calls it in settings to find it. Give us a, a near noun match right. kind of search. So I can say, because right now you can search for uh, a, a term and it just won't even show up. It's like, I know that this exists in, in Mac OS and you can't even pull it up. The display controls are very awkward. All the, everything's hidden behind a button. Mm. Like if you, if you want to change your, your layout, you have to find the button for the layout function there. And uh, yeah. changing wallpapers doesn't make any sense because you have to know which 
uh, wall which desktop is selected in order to change the wallpaper correctly and i've mm. done it wrong every time <laughs> and <laughs> changed the wrong wallpaper because you can't it doesn't it's not obvious which one you have selected right away so right. a lot of weird little issues in there yeah so we'll see that might change like safari did last year over the summer with the different betas and so to round out, I do want to talk about the iPad. First of all, Craig Federighi said desktop class apps are coming to the iPad. At least there are going to be APIs for developers to add desktop class features. He mentioned things like customizing toolbars and such, which, I, you know, that's not really the desktop class side of apps that I was interested in. But I, when I installed the beta of iPadOS 16 on my M1 iPad Pro, first thing I tried, of course, is what happens when you plug in a USB microphone. It is still the case that two apps cannot both access that microphone at the same time. I'm hoping maybe that's a developer thing. Maybe that's an API buried somewhere that audio intentions like have to be built in so apps can share audio devices. We'll see. But as far as right now, that one use case has not changed. I'm curious what desktop class features are actually brought to iPadOS with these different APIs. But the one thing we did get was Stage Manager which is an M1 iPad only feature. So you can't get this on the base model iPad or the iPad mini. This is iPad Air and iPad Pro. Anything with M1, you can do Stage Manager, which is the same feature as on the Mac. Really feel like it was made for the iPad though. And I played with it uh, several times. You know, if you really wanna have multiple apps up, you can get up to four windows at a time in Stage Manager. You tap each one to bring it to the foreground and interact with it. You can put them off to the side. You can resize windows and to drag windows around the space of the iPad screen, you tap and hold on the three dots on the top of the window. It's not like Mac where you can kind of drag it from wherever you can grab it on the top of the window or whatever. So it took some getting used to. Resizing is a little funny. Uh, someone asked me on YouTube actually, can you resize a YouTube video to kind of you know, be widescreen at the top and then have like windows underneath it. And it's one of those things like you kind of ish can, but it takes up like half the height of your canvas. And so you can't really have like other big windows unless you're gonna overlap it onto the video. So it's, it's weird, you know, it's not where you can place windows at the exact size and exact position you want for all the windows on your canvas, which is only up to four anyway. So it's not that kind of precise control, but you can. You can put multiple windows up on the iPad. You can organize them off to the side in that left-hand sidebar. And you can turn off Stage Manager using a button in the control center. You actually activate it and deactivate it as you want. And when you deactivate it, you just go back to normal split screen and overlay app modes. It's interesting. I'll be curious how they improve it or if they change anything about it over the beta cycles. I don't know, Wes, what have you thought? Have you played with it around with it? It's interesting. Um, I've long said uh i'm not a big fan of overlapping windows and this is only overlapping windows unless you go with a certain size um i've been messing with it it's difficult uh to describe like you can there's like a little grab bar in the bottom corner that lets you resize even with touch so this you don't need a mouse and keyboard to make this work honestly if you because if you go into control center and press and hold on this stage uh, manager button you can actually make it so the dock and the uh, switcher automatically hides giving you more screen real estate and you can pretty much set up the windows to occupy the same space as a split view once you do that that's fine i like the idea of the the fast switcher but at that point i'm basically 
doing the same thing that I was before with two apps, but now I can do it with four. So I, I don't know. I'm, it's something I'm going to have to play around with. I haven't spent a lot of time using the iPad as a like laptop standalone um, since this came out because I've just been swamped with work. So And all of my work systems are, are currently on the MacBook Pro. It's hard to just completely abandon that right now and go to a new system and try to perform work at the same um, capacity on a new system I'm, I'm trying to learn. So I, when I get the chance, I will sit down and work with it. But right now, it is a little chaotic. Uh, Windows are just snapping wherever they want. You don't really get to choose exactly the layout that you want. Apple has predefined sizes and predefined locations. Unlike the Mac, where even with Stage Manager on, you can still fully control everything. Um, it's right. kind of a half step on iPadOS, and it's fine. Uh, I would say this is kind of what we were expecting. This is kind of what I was asking for, though. The idea being that Apple do what they did with the cursor redefine windowing as an iPad specific system that's new and different. And uh, it seems that they developed this for iPad then ported it to Mac OS because why not? Not the other way around. And uh, it's cool. It's definitely, it's definitely smart. The only thing that matters here though, because I think again, if I'm using the iPad as a laptop and a magic keyboard out on a couch or something, I'm probably just going to use split view um, two apps at a time, because that's just always how I operate anyway. Even on the Mac, I'm usually two apps at a time in full screen mode. That's just my operations. But the thing that this enables that I really like is when I'm at a desktop next to my studio display, I connect that Thunderbolt cable to my iPad and bam, I have full screen mode on an external display uh, with stage manager and then split view on the iPad or what have you. And it's a fully manipulatable system. And that is beautiful. And that is what's really cool about this. Yeah, and I've just been playing around with the windows as as you were talking and like it is very flexible, but like you were saying, you do have like set sizes, like there's an iPhone narrow, small size, then you can go square, then you can get larger kind of half size split screen style and there's like a three quarter there. And of course, you could just kind of have like a f quote unquote full screen with just the apps off to the side. So it is it's interesting. I'll be playing around with it and um yeah, we'll see. But someone asked me, like, they were look, considering getting an iPad mini, but it's their only iPad. And they were wondering, you know, I don't get the stage manager feature. Is that a big deal? I would say at this moment, stage manager being the only feature that's M1 exclusive and considering looking at an iPad mini, which is a small device anyway, you're probably not going to be doing an external display support. I mean, technically, an external you, display you support. Still, right. You can get the mirrored thing on the iPad mini, but that's dumb. But I will say, as we've talked about on the show before, it really felt like M1 might be a differentiating requirement going forward for certain software features that the A series iPads would lack some of the software features that the M series iPads get. And so if you're looking at getting an iPad and it's your only iPad, you're only having this one iPad, it's your only, you know, iPad OS device, I would say lean towards an iPad Air or higher because who knows what other features might come in the future that are M1 exclusive and you don't get on the A series iPads. A few more, few more tidbits before we run out of time. Well, the reason why there's M1 limitations at all is because of virtual memory swap. Um, right. We're able to go up to 16 gigs of memory uh, usage by apps, but then if they run out of memory, it's no longer kill the app dead. It's uh, switch to virtual memory and the user won't even notice. Um, and that's, that's great, but that's only on M1 chips. I could see an iPad mini uh, 7 next year. Uh, with an M2 chip in it, that's totally possible, and I would buy it in a heartbeat. I just, again, 
I'm a little weird about this. I see the iPad mini as more of an iPad than I do a traditional computer. So I'm not going to use windowing on an iPad mini, even if it was there. That's just me though. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to limit anyone else. If you guys want to use it that way, go for it. But I would still use state like split view instead of stage manager on an iPad mini form factor. But speaking of iPad form factors, um, it looks like today there's a rumor that uh, Apple is preparing to release a 14.1 inch iPad pro. Mm. And uh, that would be really cool. And I would upgrade to it instantly. So <laughs> what do you, what do you think you're going to, you're going to buy a $3,000 14 inch. Um, I don't know how much it would cost. It would be in the 2000s for sure. It's going to be very expensive. You know, I got this new Magflot uh, magnetic stand for my 12.9 inch iPad Pro, and I've really been loving it. I've been using Universal Control more because it's right here next to my monitor. I right. do love the 12.9 inch screen size. I don't. I think I'm good not going bigger. I have my my Fair. 14 inch MacBook Pro. I still lean towards macOS for real productivity and work stuff. But I mean, I think that would be great for a lot of people, especially artists and those who want that big canvas for work. It sounds great. So more, more grab bag real quick. Uh, so the more memory on iPads is cool because it games uh, get to access that now. And Metal 3 is going to be improved. Yep. No Man's Sky is coming to the iPad because of this. So that Ooh. that is going to be fancy. Yes, it was on the Switch before. Um, so technically they have it running on lower systems, but the iPad Pro is much more powerful than a Nintendo Switch. So uh, it'll be cool to see that game running here. And as long as I can sync my progress, which I think I can, I'll uh, probably pick it up on an iPad. That'll be interesting. I want to see more game companies take advantage of this. I'm not going to play Resident Evil 8 on my Mac, but um, uh, <laughs> that that whole gaming section and in, in the conference was just a little odd uh, and out of place to me. If Apple, Apple really needs to come up with a system because if they're going to go so heavily on like metal and stuff sorry for the tangent but if they're gonna go so heavily on metal and pri proprietary systems they need to create converting tools from uh playstation's proprietary system or windows systems to apples or something give give the developers something because as long as they're saying no you have to start from scratch and develop for our tools and apis we're never going to get cool games um on ipad and mac anyway well and also Missing from the keynote was tvOS, and so there's been some people, maybe there'll be some other focus on tvOS and gaming, maybe home as well, if there's some kind of new HomePod or audio device that was actually found in the iOS 16 code mentions of an audio accessory 6, which the current HomePod mini is audio accessory 5 in Apple's code naming conventions. So it's possible this fall we might see some of those things, but curious that tvOS just wasn't even mentioned during the keynote yeah. or anything like that. The only thing I could find for tvOS was HDR10 Plus support, and they right. got Joy-Con support just like the iPad and iPhone did, um, which is right. cool, I guess. Yeah, well, that's cool. Couple, couple more things that I've discovered just playing around with uh, the new betas. Uh, contacts you finally can create groups apple calls them lists now for some reason but contact groups is a part of iphone and ipad contacts app which is something i've been complaining about for a very long time so it's funny that it's finally there one one last thing here it is haptic feedback on the base keyboard on iphone you no longer need to install gboard or a third-party keyboard application you can just turn on haptics and it is good as you think it is the haptic engine and iphone is really great and now, because uh, I know a lot of people will turn on the sound uh, because the speaker playing the sound will make a kind of a vibration, I guess, and gives them a little bit of that haptics just to feel it, I guess, um, because it makes them feel like they type better. Now you don't need that annoying popping sound. I, I hate 
hearing that keyboard sound. I don't know if it bothers you, Stephen, but it's like hearing someone yeah, chewing. I can't Just stand it. Mute your phone or something. It drives me nuts. But yeah, that vibration thing is really cool, and I'm happy that it's there. I turned it on right away. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, listeners, let us know what you're most excited about for iOS 16, iPad OS, macOS Ventura, all of that. Let us know on Twitter. Wes and I's Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That helps us out, and you'll get a shout-out at the top of the show. And you can support the show either directly in Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash appleinsider. We get an ad-free version of the show and early access. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.